Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Pursuit Church. If you're a guest with us this morning, we are so glad that you're here. I uh, want to say again hello to everybody watching online. We know that most people check us out online these days before they come in person, but we would love to see you here in person. We'd love to meet you. Uh, we have a big, wide-open gym space, uh, plenty of room to spread out uh, for this season, and we would love to meet you in person. So, hey, I want to just say, too, that um, if you haven't been with people through this season, uh, we know we know that uh, you're feeling alone and isolated. And uh, we don't think God created people to live that way. So we're doing everything we can to keep things safe and keep us distanced and, um, and you know, guarded against the spread of COVID. Uh, but we know that just as important as uh, being safe from that, we need to be with people. And so we just wanna say that uh, we believe it's, it's safe together. It's okay to gather, uh, and I, I know I'm maybe risking some uh, challenges to that, but I, I believe that that is the truth. I believe it's okay for us to come together, and we invite you to come and be with us. Now, we know there are some people uh, that are, are particularly uh, vulnerable. We understand that. That's why we have an online service, but we do believe that it's important, especially for God's people, but for those that are seeking spiritually to come together. So we invite you. Uh, to come and be with us. We believe it's safe, and uh, we're trusting uh, that we're doing everything that we're asked to do, and God is watching out for us as well. Uh, so we invite you to be with us. So today, joy is the trait that we're exploring on the third Sunday of Advent. I know that was a left turn there, uh, but stay with me. Uh, we're going to go right into joy uh, and if you've been journeying with us the past few weeks toward Christmas, you know we've been celebrating what uh, the church or Christendom, Christendom has traditionally called Advent. Now, Advent is not just a way for us to extend Christmas and get hurried and busied more and more. Advent has a very purposeful, intentional focus and connection to the past as it relates to the present and looks forward to the future. And that's why we have embraced a focus on Advent in this season. Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing of the coming Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to anticipate his second coming. So each week we're focusing on a different attribute of God. We've looked at hope. That was our first week. Last week we talked about peace and what are we talking about today? Joy. joy. Will you just turn to your neighbor real quickly and say, joy to the world, and that includes you. Joy to the world, and that includes you. <laughs> Thank you. So it's been said, men have pursued joy in every possible, imaginable avenue and some have successfully found it while others have not. Perhaps it would be easier than for us to describe where joy cannot be found, where people are often searching for it. It's not going to be found in unbelief. Listen to what Voltaire had to say. If there was anybody that ever embraced unbelief, it would have been on uh, Voltaire. And this is what he said, or he wrote rather. He said, I wish... I had never been born. 
Now that's a sobering reality from someone who's lived in unbelief their entire life. We know that joy can't be found in pleasure, not lasting joy. Lord Byron, who lived a life immersed in pleasure and self-indulgence, said this. He wrote this, the worm, the canker, and grief are alone mine. Joy can't be found in unbelief. It can't be found in seeking pleasure. It can't be found in money. Listen to what Jay Gould, who was an American millionaire, who had plenty of wealth, plenty of money, when he was dying, he said this, I suppose I am the most miserable man on planet Earth. Not in unbelief, not in pleasure, not in money. Joy is not found in the searching for and the pursuit of position and fame. Listen to Lord Beaconsfield, who enjoyed more than his share of both. He wrote this, youth is a mistake, manhood is a struggle, and old age a regret. What a doom and gloom perspective, right? I mean, come on. He pursued position of power and fame and ended up considering life a mistake. It can't be found, joy can't be found in pursuing power or military glory. Listen to Alexander Great. He conquered the known world in his day and having done so and completed his task that he set out to, to, to pursue military glory, said this, there are no more worlds to conquer. His purpose that he thought he had lived for where he'd find satisfaction and fulfillment left him hungry for more, where then is true joy found? The, ample, the answer, my friends, is simple. It's found in Christ alone. William Moore describes the antonym of joy as being discouragement. And discouragement is, listen to this, dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and distrust for the future. The antonym of joy. It's ingratitude. He goes on to say it's ingratitude for the blessings of yesterday, indifference for the opportunities of today, and insecurity regarding the strength for tomorrow. It's unawareness of the presence of beauty and unconcern for the needs of fellow man and unbelief in the promises of old. Again, the antonym of joy is impatience with time, immaturity of thought, and impoliteness towards God. A teacher wrote the following as we think about joy and as we think about its source. She wrote this experience. I thought this was beautiful and profound. One day she says, I was trying to teach my students the difference between happiness and joy. They seemed to understand, so I suggested that maybe they could write about the color of happiness and the color of joy. And then they could tell some of the things that they thought would bring them those feelings. They were all excited and they used all the colors in the Crayola crayon box. Yes, thank you. And they used all those colors to express themselves. And it was an enlightening morning. However, one little boy said this to his teacher. I think joy is black. 
I was devastated, she said. I was sure that he was depressed and totally without joy, so I invited him to come and give me a private audience and tell me about his paper. And he said this, he said, Mrs. Lane, you told us that happiness was something that you felt when you went to a birthday party or when you went on vacation or got a new pair of shoes, but that it didn't last. And then you said that joy was something deep inside and that nobody could ever take that away from you. So I figured if it was deep inside of you where it was dark, it must be black. She says this, I could have cried. How could I have been so stupid not to have seen that at first? I hugged him and I told him that he was a lot smarter than I was. My friends, would you turn to a neighbor and say, joy is black? Joy is black. So the main idea of the message is this today. We can experience true joy no matter the discouragement because Jesus came to be with us. Let me say that one more time. This is the main idea of the message. We can experience true joy no matter the discouragement because Jesus came to be with us. Would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 and hold that place? That is where we'll be for the remainder of our time in the Word of God. And let's pray as we dig into the Bible together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your word that brings life and light. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the deep inside parts of us, the black, dark parts of us. So God, today, as we think about joy and true joy, the experience of true joy, God, would you move in us and stir in us in such a way that when we leave today, we will be different. We will be renewed in our joy no matter what's going on around us. God, I pray that you would speak through me your words and that those are the things that would linger in our hearts and minds today as we leave. Your voice, your truth, because we know that that will not return void in our lives. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's his, in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we read Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25? I do this just to remind us that we're reading from God's word. And uh, there's something powerful and important when we do that. And so let's pay close attention to what God has to say to us in this incredible part of his story intersecting with humankind. Verse 5, chapter 1 of Luke, it says, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children, though, because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. What verse am I on? Seven, seven thank you. Verse seven, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Verse eight, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was burning or being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. 
While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, as you can imagine. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy with gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah then said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife will also be along in years. Verse 19, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence, he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zachariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she explained. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Again, the main idea this morning of the message is this. We can experience true joy no matter the discouragement because Jesus came to be with us. So let's make a few observations from the story as we think about joy today. There's a lot of joy throughout the entire Christmas story. It's all over the place especially early in the story but it's important to note this. This is important. Pay close attention. Joy isn't separate from the pain, the discouragement, and the difficulty. In fact, much of the joy in the Christmas story emerges from pain and difficulty and trial and discouragement and disappointment. We're going to look a little more close to the stories and experiences of Elizabeth and Mary. So Luke's Christmas story, it begins there a little bit earlier than Mary, Joseph, and Jesus with a prophet named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Luke 1, verses 5 through 7, again returning to that, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijai. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands, decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they both were very old. Now let's think about this in that short paragraph, the original audience, the people that this would have been written to and for originally, they would have, it would have spoken volumes to them. They would have understood a lot, and so it's important for us to understand the context of this message being delivered. They understand that, that Herod was ruling, and at that time, Herod ruled pretty ruthlessly. There was, they were really being oppressed 
It wasn't as though they had the freedoms that, that we partially enjoy right now. <laughs> they, they didn't have that. They were being oppressed and taxed heavily. They were being govern, governed by godless people. These were difficult times, and that's the context in which we meet Elizabeth and Zechariah. We learn there that both were from a priestly lineage, and in a day when a lot of religious corruption existed, they stood out. They, they stood apart from the religious zealots of that day. And it's noted there, Luke notes that, there was stark contrast between them, and they were described as righteous, blameless, and faithful. And that's especially important in light of what Luke tells us next there, that they were not able to have children. So the original audience would have understood the context of this message that Luke is bringing about Jesus and John specifically coming onto the scene, John the Baptist. But there was a big change that happened here, and that's what, what we're engaged with in this part of the story. There's a miraculous vision or, or revelation given to Zechariah that his wife was going to have a son who would be a powerful prophet introducing the way of the Savior. So Zechariah is overwhelmed. He can hardly believe the news. And you can imagine, put yourself in his shoes, He's going about his, his duties, serving Jesus in the temple, and an angel appears. That's, that's not an everyday thing, so he's probably pretty freaked out and overwhelmed, right? He's overwhelmed by the news that he's just received. And because of his unbelief, and almost in what I would consider to be a gift to him, he can't speak so he's got to go out and tell people what just happened. And you can imagine he's going around trying to sign like there was this, I don't know if it, 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 probably not wings, I don't know what it looked like, but he's trying to tell people this just happened, but I can't speak about it. So he's maybe writing it down. But he's given this sign, I think, as a gift to know that he can endure whatever he has to because God has found he and his wife faithful. There's an interesting note there, another observation that we need to, to dial in on. It tells us that Elizabeth went into seclusion for the first five months. That's strange, isn't it? Why would she have had to go into seclusion for the first five months of her pregnancy? That's it's kind of strange, right? They wouldn't have believed her, right? That's probably true. Maybe it had something to do with the disgrace that she might have felt. You can imagine most of her life she lived thinking that I can't have children. And in that culture, in that society, it would have been pretty significant. That, that was a very central thing to them, to be able to, to give birth and to bring life into the world. You can imagine that probably somewhere along the way she started to share with her friends, I don't know what's going on. We're not able to have children. And probably someone questioned her or, or brought accusation or whatever. She might have experienced some social distance in a different way. They probably questioned her unfairly, casting suspicion or blame on her. But most likely, that's, that's probably why she went into seclusion. Maybe also she, she wanted to make sure this was true. Because how many times maybe had she, maybe she conceived and then miscarried? 
and got her hopes up and then the people around her were excited for her and then they were dashed. But either way, she went into seclusion, probably giving us an insight that, you know, this wasn't easy. This was a difficult thing. It was hard. It wasn't just this, oh, she's going to have a baby and all, everything went well. No, there, was, there were things that she was dealing with and wrestling with personally and emotionally in the journey. Meanwhile, in Galilee, when Elizabeth is six months pregnant, Gabriel makes another earthly appearance. This time, it's to Mary, we find out later. He's delivering the most miraculous pregnancy announcement of all. And Mary receives that news with joy and gladness, but also some fear and trepidation. And I imagine at some point in time, she started to realize, man, how how am I going to explain this to people? I am carrying the Son of God supernaturally. And even Joseph wouldn't believe or couldn't believe it. And we find out from Matthew's gospel that Joseph had actually planned on breaking off the engagement because he didn't know what else to do. So my friends, the point of all this and and noting all this is to know that that this is not just all joy and happiness in in the circumstances that they are in. They're navigating some pretty difficult things from Roman oppression taxation, and then personally and socially, this is, this is a lot of challenging things that they are enduring. But then there's a turn. We see a turn. Luke tells us that Mary hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea once she had, had received all this news. She was going to visit Elizabeth. And I believe she probably thought if anybody's going to understand, she probably will. And she was right. This is where joy begins to erupt in the story between Elizabeth and Mary. Against the backdrop of discouragement, of disgrace, of grief, of shame, Luke tells us, verses 41 through 45, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, The baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. I would imagine at this point in time for Mary, that would have been a huge encouragement to her. She's wrestling with all this. She's she's had this wrestling with Joseph and their family and, and finally somebody affirms her and her believing the promise that God has made to her. And look at what the the Bible records a song that Mary wrote or Mary sang in that moment. And and many songs have been written, inspired by this song that Mary wrote. It says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. 
He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. To Abraham and his descendants forever, he has promised, just as he has promised our ancestors. My friends, joy is black. Joy is black. Would you just take a minute to remind your neighbor that joy is black? We're going to find out how we can apply that truth. Now, let's talk about what we can take away from the message today. These are truths about joy in all seasons. In your notes, if you're following along, number one is this. It's okay to be joyful. Some of you really need to hear that this morning. It's okay to be joyful no matter what's going on in your life. I want to start just looking at that word joy. In the Greek language is kara, which means gladness, a state of rejoicing, or happiness. The New Bible Dictionary defines it as such. It is a quality and not simply an emotion. Grounded upon God himself and indeed derived from him which characterizes the Christian life on earth and also anticipates the joy of being with Christ forever in heaven. My friends, joy is not some feeling or emotion that's rooted in the circumstances of life. True joy is inside And it comes only from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That Greek word literally means an inner gladness, which is deep pleasure coming from an inner assurance and confidence that God does all things for his good purposes. That is why believers in Jesus Christ can embrace joy no matter what. It's okay to be joyful, even if things are difficult, even if what you're seeing around you is chaotic and and unexplainable. It's okay to embrace joy. And in truth, joy found in worldly ways really, which is probably better described as happiness, leaves you with a haunting awareness that something could come along and rob you of that joy. But joy received from God gives those who follow Jesus the assurance that he does all things well for those that are seeking him with their whole heart. That is where the confidence of joy comes. Look at Psalm 16, verse 11. It says this, you make known to me the path of life. Notice who does the feeling, feeling rather, of the joy. You, that is God, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. My friends, there is great joy in the Christmas season. That's why we, we, we long for it. We want to be present with it. We want to find it. Because we know it exists there naturally. And whatever term we want to call it, the most important part of understanding where it comes from is is the source. Where are you drawing it from? We find joy in Jesus, in the Lord. Philippians 4.4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Because that's a fun word, would you just take a minute and say rejoice out loud to somebody close by? Rejoice. 
The point is here that our longing for happiness and joy is a natural desire God has placed within us. And as we reflect on who he is, what he's done, and and the eternity that he has planned for us, there is always room for joy in our lives. Look at Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy. Again, notice who's doing the filling. This is Paul's prayer for a group of believers, young believers. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. You can experience joy and happiness in this season, and it's okay. It's okay to be joyful no matter what's going on around you. The second application that I think we draw from this this morning is that joy is spiritual strength. Joy is spiritual strength. We see this from Nehemiah, who is an Old Testament Bible time leader who got permission from King Artaxerxes to return from exile, where they were exiled in Babylon, to rebuild Jerusalem, starting with its walls. And this was more than just a return to build the physical city. There was a spiritual awakening for the people. And in chapter 8 of that book, Nehemiah brings all the people together and they read the law of Moses out loud and people begin to weep. They begin to weep. Some, I believe, were tears of joy. Some weeping from sadness because they'd neglected God. They drifted away. And in the middle of the scene, look what Nehemiah says to the people. Verse 10. He said, as they're weeping and all this is going on, he said, go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Celebrate it. Enjoy it is what he's saying to them. And just as he was saying that to them as there was spiritual awakening, every year when we celebrate the birth of Christ, there is another opportunity for spiritual awakening in our lives. And we draw from that joy true, deep spiritual strength. Look at 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. It says this, though you have not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not know, see him now, you believe in him and are filled with, notice, an inexpressible and glorious joy for you receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, our true source of happiness and joy and fulfillment comes with an abiding relationship with Jesus in life. The more we are connected to that every day in our lives, that abiding relationship with Christ through immersing ourselves in his word, being with God's people, using our gifts in in service to his plans and purposes, the more we do that, the more we have the opportunity to experience true joy in our lives. Now, let me say what I'm not suggesting here. I'm not suggesting fake, plastic Christianity. That is not at all the idea here. Sometimes joy is a fountain erupting in us. Sometimes it's a slow bubbling to the surface as we're reminded 
of God's plan for us from eternity. So wherever you find yourself today, let me just encourage you that the joy of the Lord can be felt and experienced and observed no matter what we're facing. Galatians 5.22 says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. You want to live a lawless life, my friends, right here in a relationship with Jesus, this is what you can do to your heart's content. Love, experience love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit for those who have chosen to follow Christ. If you do not have Christ in the center of life, you have not experienced true joy. But let me conclude with this. Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice because it's rooted in God's promises, in God's character, and in his son, Jesus Christ. And that will never change. And so when we find ourselves drifting and, and struggling in life and looking at the circumstances, and like Peter who got out of the boat to his credit, but then started looking at the waves when he was walking on water, there's a moment he, he lost sight of his Savior. He started to be consumed. In the same way, my friends, when we lose sight of our Savior, we lose sight of and connection with joy. Now, the word that's used there in many places for joy is rejoice, as Jan mentioned earlier. It's not a word we use very often in our culture. We probably should because it's a great word. Rejoice, I think it's a great, it just kind of rolls off the tongue, right? Rejoice. It's the action or feeling of expressing joy and delight. That's what it means. It's the verb form of joy. And if you look closely at that word, you'll notice it begins with what? Re. Re, which is a prefix. And if we go back to our grammar lessons, it means once more, again, or return to. So rejoicing is a return to joy. It's a choice and an action through, through our mind, the choice of the will to return to it. And I'd like to add for us that it's a return to Jesus, a focus on Jesus himself. So James writes this to, again, some, some believers in Jesus. He says to them, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let per perseverance finish its work, so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. My friends, if you want to grow up, if you want to mature in life and in your faith, you have to come to a place where you can see the trial, the adversity, and the difficulty with joy because you have an eternal perspective in life. But joy, I will acknowledge, can feel very far away if we're grieving or if we're depressed or we're afraid as our pain and our problems creep inside. But let me encourage you that James isn't saying be happy about your trials. He's saying find joy in them because you see the bigger picture. You see that God is way more concerned with your character, which is what you will take with you into eternity, than your comfort here on planet Earth. When you start 
living for your comforts. You're living for this world. When you live for your character, you're living for eternity. And that's where you find the secret of joy. Let it be rooted in eternity. Final two verses I want to share with you. 1 Peter 4, 13. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When you participate in and willingly embrace the difficulty of life and don't resist it or run away from it or try to escape it or entertain yourself out of it, when you embrace the difficulty, you are participating with Jesus in the truth of life. And look what happens. You will be overjoyed when his glory, which essentially means his presence, is revealed in you. When you participate in sufferings as Christ did, considering it joy, you are revealing the presence of Jesus in you. That is the difference of walking with Jesus and talking about Jesus. Finally, 1 Thessalonians were given this imperative, an imperative in the grammatical context is a command. So for those of you who have said, I, I'm following Jesus, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, obey me. And this is one of his commands, to rejoice always. So you didn't have to think about it. He's given you an instruction. All you have to do is say, okay. But the, the beauty is that he gives the wisdom behind it. Look into eternity and understand that your joy is rooted in eternity in my promises to you and the character I'm forming in you through the trial. So you can choose joy every day. It's not very far away when you walk with Jesus. Again, the main idea of this is this this morning. We can experience true joy no matter the discouragement, no matter the difficulty, no matter the trial, because Jesus came to be with us. What is your next step this morning as you think about joy in Christ this Christmas season? What can you do in response to this message? How can you embrace joy? How can you bring it into your family? How can you bring it into your neighborhood or your workplace or in your community? What is it that God wants to do through you and in you as it relates to joy this morning? For some of you who have never embraced a relationship with Jesus Christ, I don't know if someone here this morning, maybe watching online, the Bible is very clear. You cannot experience joy without Jesus, not true joy. You might experience fleeting happiness in your escape or in your satisfaction with a few things in life, but it's fleeting. True joy that lasts for all of eternity is rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible is clear how we embrace a relationship with Christ. We understand that we are sinful. And that's why Jesus had to come to earth to take our sin upon himself. himself. He had to die a sinless death on the cross take our sin upon himself so that we could be in relationship with God. We can be restored in relationship with God. 
Romans is clear. It says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then we will be saved. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to confess that in prayer to God this morning. So if that's you, whether you're online or here with us this morning, would you pray with me? I will give you some words to pray. Again, I say this every week. It's not the words, it's what's going on in your heart, your response to God and his revelation of true joy to you this morning. So pray with me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Again, if, if you have not prayed to trust Christ in your life, now is your opportunity, now is your invitation to experience the true joy of Christmas. And you can pray this with me. Jesus, I know I'm sinful, and I realize my good works, my good deeds could never make up for my wrong, my wrongdoing. I ask your forgiveness I ask for your forgiveness in my life. I believe that you died for my sins and I want to turn away from them right now and trust you to be my Lord and Savior. And with your help, I will follow you as my leader in the fellowship and friendship of your church. Let me pray for the rest of us this morning, God, as we think about this message on joy, would you help us to embrace it in spirit and in truth, that we who have chosen to follow your son Jesus would, would embrace joy, we would choose joy, because we know that it comes from your promises and your character and your goodness and not from our circumstances. And God, would you inspire us with ways that we can share that in our families, in our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods and in our community. Lord, help us to be joy givers in this season. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.